continue moving ahead in our series called The Return, and we're in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 this morning. So go ahead and get your Bibles out to 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. And I want to read for us the second half of this chapter, beginning in verse 13 and going to the end of the chapter. So you can follow along with me if you would. It says, And now, dear brothers and sisters, we want you to know what will happen to the believers who have died. And the King James Version it says the phrase, fallen asleep, so that you will not grieve like people who have no hope. For since we believe that Jesus died and was raised to life again, we also believe that when Jesus returns, God will bring back with him the believers who have died. We tell you this directly from the Lord. Paul's making it very clear here. This is a thus saith the Lord. This is a mandate from God. The information he's sharing came right from the Lord himself. We who are still living when the Lord returns will not meet him ahead of those who have died. For the Lord himself will come down from heaven with a commanding shout and with the voice of the archangel and with the trumpet call of God. First, the believers who have died will rise from their graves And then together with them, we who are still alive and remain on the earth will be caught up in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. Hallelujah. Then we will be with the Lord forever. And Paul concludes here by saying the key word, so, in light of what you've just heard. So, encourage each other with these words. What an incredible promise. We're talking about an amazing doctrine of Scripture here as we talk about the second coming of Jesus Christ. This is foundational to us. It's foundational because it's the finish line that we're looking towards. And we said last week, you know, we can, we need to be looking ahead to the second coming, but Paul prefaced all this, uh, and we just sang it in the Battle Hymn of the Republic. He died to make men holy so we can live now to make others free. I want to even know we saw last Sunday that living a holy life is really, really important in preparing us for the coming of Jesus Christ. And we talked to just a couple of things we said last week, just a couple of headlines if you weren't here, that first of all, Paul said, you know what, we should all be really, really concerned about living a life that's pleasing to God. Amen. So in other words, as we're saying these things, I mean, if you know that sometimes the church doesn't do a very good job of connecting the dots. You know, if God says, hey, this is really important, I want you to understand how to please me then our ears should perk up and we should be looking for ways that please the Lord. In fact, I shared with you last week, how do you know what pleases God? You got to get in the Bible because God tells you what pleases him. And you know, some of the greatest revivals throughout history happened when people who had been far from God and out of his word went back and started reading the word and they said, oh my goodness, we're in big trouble. And the reason they said we're in big trouble is because they realized they were living in ways that were displeasing to God. And as a consequence, God's judgment was on that nation. And so when you read the Bible and God says something, instantly if our lives are not lining up with what the word says, there should be a good sense of conviction. How I many you know conviction is a good thing? Conviction is not a bad thing. You should never want to go to a church that just makes you have warm, fuzzy goosebumps continually. Because you're probably being deceived. Um, you need to hear the word of the Lord and you need to let the word hit us. We need to let it hit us. So that when we see something that we're not living or we're not applying to our lives, it's not like we get beat up with it. No, God doesn't. No, that's not the case. It should spur us on to holiness. It's like I shared any of you that are married. If you want to have a miserable marriage, just don't be concerned about what pleases your wife. If you want to have a great marriage, study your wife. Study your husband. 
What do they like? What do they not like? What, what, what really uh, feeds their soul? What, what energizes them? What, how about this? What's their love language, right? You know, how do you, you know, how do you say I love you in a way that's meaningful to them? Can I get an amen? <laughs> so pastor always tells you when he's doing the weddings, right? Find the jewel in your spouse. In other words, be an expert at your spouse. Well, let me just tell you this morning. Be an expert, saints, at pleasing the Lord. Know what he likes. Know what he doesn't like. Avoid what he doesn't like. Do what he does like because it's really important. Why is it important? Because he's coming back. He is coming back. And, and there's no do-overs. You want to be ready. There's no do-overs. There's no, there's no mulligans. Although, Scott, are we going to have any mulligans in that golf tournament? All right, I might play then if there's mulligans. How many? I have to negotiate with you. I have to broker that. All right. Secondly, we shared last week that Paul was real clear about the will of God for our lives. Sometimes we think the will of God is what we're called to do. And that's part of it. But it's more what we are called to be than what you're called to do. How many of you know if you focus on the being, the doing takes care of itself? Well, what do you mean by that, Pastor? Well, this is what I mean. If you make it your aim to live in a way that pleases God and you actually have a relationship with him, God will talk to you. He'll talk to you through the word. He'll talk to you through the Holy Spirit. God will communicate with you. How many of you know if God's talking to you, there's a good indication that he's going to tell you what he wants you to do. But if God's not in communication mode with you, or you're not in communication mode with God, you're like a blind squirrel trying to find a nut, all right? You're, you're going, what's God's will for my life? That's why it's interesting. A lot of times people will pursue the prophetic initially instead of pursuing God. And let me just say, I'm all about the prophetic. Prophetic's great. It's a gift of the Holy Spirit, right? It's a, it's a way God speaks to us prophetically. But listen, you should not have to hear from a prophet what the will of God is for your life. That's a counterfeit. That's like an unhealthy codependency. You should hear from the Lord through your own relationship with God. And listen, the prophetic is just confirmation. It's not initiation. You should never get a new idea about what the call of God is for your life from someone who's introducing you to that for the first time. How many of you know it's God's job? You belong to him. It's his job to speak to you. So if this relationship is correct... And you're living a life where you say, God, I want to please you. God will lead you and guide you and direct you. And let me just tell you this. If you're, if you're submitted to the will of God for your life and you're pleasing him, you can't miss the will of God. The will, you will stumble into the will of God. You cannot miss the will of God. Because how many of you know, who wants, who wants the will of God performed in your life more than you? God! <laughs> this is a revelation for me. I was getting all, I'm getting all, you know, really into it and trying to figure out. And I, Lord, what is it that you call me to do? And I'm getting all worried about it. And then the Lord just told me one time, you know what? I created you and I place gifts in you. And I, I, I have something special for you to do. And I want it to be accomplished more than you do. So why don't you relax and just love me and take care of this part first and then God takes care of this part. Isn't that pretty simple? So he says, here's the will of God. And in a nutshell, your holiness. And then he gave us five things. We hit on them last week. I was just going to touch on them. He said, avoid sexual sin. Well, pastor, what are sexual sins? I mean, this is so simple. Here's the marital relationship. That's the sexual play- playground. 
If you're not in the marital covenant relationship, then you have no sexual playground. If you're doing anything sexually with somebody else of of whatever gender, or you're having relationship with somebody who's married, or neither one of you are married, biblically speaking, you are in sexual sin. That's not a good place to be. It's not healthy for you. It doesn't bless you. It doesn't bless the person you're with. It doesn't honor God, and it's not a great setup for the second coming. It's a bad place to be at the second coming. It's being real. Number two, he said, focus on your marriage. Those of you that are married, quit looking around at other people's wives or, or not, not or, or unmarried ladies and focus on your marriage and make sure you have a great marriage. Can I get an amen on that? Number three, love your brothers and sisters in Christ. Make sure you're loving in the people right here that you worship with. Make sure you're in great relationship with all your brothers and sisters. Number four, this is so good, mind your own business. Wasn't that great? The New Living Translation actually says, mind your own business. That is just so cool. What does he mean by that? Don't be a busybody. Don't be stirring up everything. Focus on your life. Focus on your walk with God. Focus on obeying God, loving people. And don't be a busybody in the body of Christ or anywhere else. And I love the last one we talked about. Paul just simply said, work hard. Well, pastor, what does that mean in the Greek? It means work hard. It means get up in the morning and go to work and provide for your family. And, and here was the goal, so that you would not be dependent upon anyone. There are times, we said last week, of momentary dependency. And praise God for the body of Christ. But the key word is momentary. God wants you to, be, to have more than enough in your life so that you can bless other people and so that you can invest in the kingdom of God. Does that make sense? So Paul said, work hard. In fact, he said one of the best ways people will know that you're a follower of Jesus Christ is by your work ethic. Come on, hallelujah. I didn't say be a workaholic. I didn't say worship your work. I said work hard for the glory of God. And I also didn't say be lazy. Don't be lazy. Don't make an idol out of your work. But do what you do for the glory of God. Keep your priorities straight. And work hard because people will see, hey, that, that's a man or woman that loves God. All right. And then we talked about this connection. I want you to see this, the connection between hope and holiness. If you want to have great hope that no matter what's going on, Christ is returning for you, and you want to be confident in that, then how many of you know the key thing is that you're living a life that's pleasing to the Lord and you're walking in holiness? Because then there's not going to be any sense of regret in your life. And the Bible is re- replete in warning after warning, connecting the, the hope that we have in the second coming with living a holy life. Now check this out. I'm just going to give you two verses quickly here. One is First John chapter 3, verses 2 and 3. It says, Dear friends, we, all, we are already God's children, but he has not yet shown us what we will be like when Christ appears. But we do know that we will be like him. Hallelujah. For we will see him as he really is. Look at verse 3, though. And all who have this eager expectation will keep themselves pure just as he is pure. In other words, if you really believe Christ is coming and you have a sense of expectation and excitement about that, then you will be living a certain way. There are certain things you won't do. There are certain things you will do. And I just want to be really practical here because this is not rocket science. Jesus Christ is coming again. Amen? He's coming for his bride. How do you know if, if, if you're his bride? Well, you've bowed your knee to Jesus Christ. You've made him Lord of your life. You're, you, and listen, you're living in a way to please him. If, if we continue to live in known sin, 
I mean, there it is in the Bible. God says, don't do that. But you just continue to live that way. There's a problem somewhere. Are you with me? Either you're not born again, truly, because your heart would be grieved over displeasing the Lord, or you're in a really scary place because your heart has grown very hard and cold. Am I speaking to anybody? You know what I'm talking about. So if God says don't do that, but you're, but you're like, oh, whatever, that's not, whatever is not a good response. <laughs> I mean, when we're talking, this, this is the end finish line. And like I said, there's no do-overs at that point. You want to be living in such a way that, that you're purifying yourself. In other words, you have an ongoing relationship with Jesus, and you're on a short leash. Man, when I take my dog out, you know, not that I got this mastered. He's, he's old now, so I could handle him, all right? But I'm older now, too, so we're still fighting. But my dog wasn't, wasn't Mr. D- Mr. Obedient. Sometimes my dog's taking me for a walk, and finally I would just ratchet that chain up short. And he tried to get off. You know, dogs want to run around and lift their leg on everything. At least sky dogs do. I'm, I'm just saying, and, and I'm not proud of that, but that's my dog. He's wanting to run around. And I'm like, get over here. Get over here. Get over here. And I got him on a leash about this long. He's not going anywhere. Now, my arm has, I got shoulder pain when I get home. I got spasms because I had to fight him the whole way. I want to be on a short leash with the Lord. I mean, I try to get away. Whoop, I'm right back there. Hey, right back there. The Lord just, whoop, whoop. Holy Spirit pulling me right back in. You got you with me? Short leash. Holy, it doesn't mean we're perfect. It means we're pursuing God and there's a desire to be like him. Amen. We, we're short repenters, man. We do something wrong. The, the, the time between doing it wrong and repenting, boom, short. Not like, I need you to ask me to, for, for, I need to ask for forgiveness because I've hated you for 12 years. What? You sat in this church and hated somebody for 12 years? That's way too long of a bank account. How about 12 minutes? And then you repent. I mean, these things shouldn't be happening. But guess what? They happen among Christian people all the time. Look at this one, Titus chapter 2, verses 12 through 13. We are instructed to turn from godless living and sinful pleasures as opposed to godly pleasure, which is good. We should live in this evil world with wisdom and righteousness, right thinking, right standing with God. And listen to this last one, devotion to God. Our hearts are set apart and devoted to God. While we look forward with hope to that wonderful day when the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, will be revealed. Talking about the coming of the Lord. So notice how we're supposed to live leading up to that. Not godless, not living for our flesh, sinful pleasure. But we want to live with wisdom, right thinking, devotion to God. And we're looking forward. How I many you know if you're living right before God, there will be a sense of excitement about the day that he comes. You know, my mom would tell me at times growing up, she'd say, um, you know, she disciplined me for being disobedient or whatever, or selfish or rebellious at home. And then she'd say, wait till your dad gets home. Oh, it was the second coming. All right. <laughs> my father is coming home and I'm, I'm waiting for the clouds to split for the angels and the, you know, the front door to open. And I knew it was judgment day at that point. I mean, you know, that's not how you want your dad to come home. Knowing that you're, you're in big trouble. Let me tell you something. It's not how you want the Lord to return. Knowing that you're in big trouble. You want to return knowing that you're after it, right? You're living a life that's pleasing to God. This is so important. I want to drive this home because, I mean, you know, we're living in a culture today where holiness, 
is not one of the leading messages. Let's put it that way. Consecration to God, not one of the leading messages. Living, how about this? Living a life that's different from the rest of the world. Not really a popular message today. But I'm telling you, it's a biblical message. And in light of the second coming, I'm helping you out this morning. Uh, we want to make sure that we're ready. So let's take a look at the presenting problem here. Why is Paul talking about this? The major question that the believers had here was what happens to Christians who die before Christ comes? It's a good question, isn't it? And you know, they probably, uh, ha- having seen Christ and his, uh, his life, his death, his resurrection, his ascension, um, they're probably wondering, okay, you know, how's all this going to end? And what about loved ones? Uh, and I want you to think about this even in our own world today. If you just led somebody to the Lord uh, in a foreign country and they're in a country where there's great persecution and maybe as a result of their coming to Christ, family members are being killed or whatever. How many of you know one of the most burning questions on a person's mind would be, what happens to my dad after he died? Or what happened to my daughter or son that was killed? What happened after they died? I mean, these are important questions. And so Paul is speaking here out of the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, and he's giving some very clear instructions for the purpose of giving us hope. And so I want you to read with me verse 13. It says, now, dear brothers and sisters, we want you to know what will happen to the believers who have died or who have fallen asleep, so you will not grieve like people who have no hope. Now, how many of you know grieving is an important part of being human? And what the Lord does, first of all, is say, look, we're not saying, the Bible's not teaching that if you're a Christian, you should never suffer grief or hurt or loss. I actually heard a Word of Faith teacher one time say that Christ has borne all of our sorrows and griefs. Therefore, if we ever have sorrow or grief, we're sinning. I don't think that's what the Bible says at all. Um, In fact, Jesus himself was grieved over Lazarus' death, and he was going to raise him up a few moments later, and he still wept over Lazarus, did he not? I think what the Bible's saying is we don't grieve like people who don't know God. I mean, if you've been married, as some folks in this room have, for 50, 60 years, and your best friend goes home to be with Jesus, there's going to be a sense of loss. There's going to be a sense of sadness. Um, and I'm just telling you, that's normal and human. That just means you're human. You're real. Um, but the Bible also would say this. If you are still grieving the loss of somebody that has gone on to be with the Lord, and it's 10, 15, 20 years later, and that grief is still like it happened yesterday, then I'm just telling you there's probably some healing that God wants to do in your life because that's an unhealthy form of grief. You know, when we're at, at a funeral of a loved one who's gone on to be with Jesus, there is certainly sadness there. But what I love about Christian funerals is the sadness is always mixed with laughter and joy. And sometimes, you know, you feel like, okay, we should all be really sad and dour and gloomy. And then somebody laughs and you almost feel guilty for laughing. Um, but then you realize, oh, wait a minute, we're not sorrowing as people with no hope. We're here because we know the promise of God. And it's interesting that the King James Version says that they have fought people, Christians that have died. They don't say in the Bible that they've died. It says that they've fallen asleep. 
This is an amazing metaphor that God uses here because the language is trying to teach us something really, really important. Remember when Jesus came on the scene with the person who had died and he said, don't cry, they're they're not dead, they're just asleep. And they all mocked him, remember that? They mocked Jesus. And Jesus went in there because what he knew, he was getting ready to wake somebody up. Now you can be tired, you can take a long nap, you can have sleep deprivation, sleep for two days straight. But if somebody is sleeping, here's the promise. They're going to awake. They're going to awaken. They're going to wake up. Jesus completely takes away death's sting by reminding us that anybody that is in Christ that dies is just sleeping. It's a comma, not a period. Death has a certain finality in it for people in the world. I mean, it's it's devastating to think about dying, which is why people don't want to think about dying. I want to encourage you, think about dying. Pastor, you're being morbid. No, I'm helping you. You should be thinking a lot about dying before you actually do it. Remember that series that I preached on heaven? It was about 15 messages on heaven. That series changed my life. I was so blessed by that series because when you know what the Word of God says about where you're going and the certainty of this, it creates a certain sense of actually, ready for this? Excitement. Anticipation. Being freed when you're in a body that's not participating or cooperating like maybe it did when you were 50 years younger, that there's a sense that, you know what, I'm going to shed this rascal and I'm getting something new, which is really, really exciting. So think about death and make sure that you're ready and it doesn't catch you by surprise. Now let's talk about verse 14. This is This is an amazing passage. Read it with me. Talking about the parousia of Christ. It's a word that's used in the Greek many times to talk about his return. It says, For since we believe that Jesus died and was raised to life again, we also believe that when Jesus returns, God will bring back with him the believers who have died. In other words, God's going to treat those who died trusting in Jesus in the same way he treated Jesus himself. Namely, by resurrecting them from the dead. How many of you are in Christ this morning? You're in Christ. You're in covenant union with Jesus. That means you're in you're in relationship like a marriage relationship. You're you're betrothed to Christ. You're you're literally the Bible uses that phrase over and over in Him, hidden in Him, partakers of Him, part of the inheritance of Christ. That's all. That's all who what it means by being in Him. If you're in Him, you're going to get the same results that He got. Well, what happened to Jesus? Death couldn't contain Him. He busted out of that grave and he didn't come out in his, in his old flesh. He came out in a new resurrected body and we see him doing all kinds of cool things, walking through matter, showing up places. I mean, but he still ate fish. Praise God for that. All right. Um, I mean, this glorified body that he had was amazing. Guess what? You're getting one of those. It's coming. And in the same way that Christ was raised from the dead, you're not sitting here this morning going, man, I sure hope that happens to me. I'm telling you, it's going to happen to you. Death is not going to be able to hold you, even as death couldn't hold him. This is amazing news. So the church throughout all the ages has looked forward to the joyful anticipation, with joyful anticipation, to the promised return of Jesus. His first advent secured our redemption. His second advent 
the, is the blessed hope of the church. It's the full consummation of the kingdom of God. It's God coming in his fullness, Christ coming in his kingdom with all the attendant benefits. And this word in the Greek means literally, it's a technical expression for the royal visit of a king or an emperor. Christ's return is the return of the king. It's going to be awesome. It's going to be Huge, as one of our presidential nominees says, all right? Huge. I don't know where that came from, but it just seems like it fit. All right, verse 16, check this out. For the Lord himself will come down from heaven with a commanding shout, with the voice of the archangel, with the trumpet of God. There's a couple things here I want us to see about the nature of his return. First of all, his return is personal. Jesus is not sending a text message. He's not going to be coming on FaceTime. It's not going to be, you know, uh, a podcast or, or a live stream event where everybody can tune into their computer. He's coming personally, all right? And I love this. He's coming, the Bible says, in power and in great glory. He's coming as a king. Acts 1.11 gives us a hint. You remember what happened after Jesus uh, was raised from the dead. He spent 40 days teaching on the kingdom of God, ministering to his disciples, being seen by over 500. You guys all know the story there. But then he, the, he ascended to the right hand of the Father. And he there he went, right out of their sight, ascended to the heavens. And look what the Bible says about his return. Acts chapter 1, verse 11. This same Jesus, who was taken up from you into heaven will so come in the same manner that you saw him go into heaven. So guess what? He's coming back the same way in bodily form with great glory. And this leads us to the second part that we see here. Christ's coming is going to be visible. No one's going to say, hey, did you see Jesus came back? Oh, no, I missed it. Um, No one's going to say that. No one can miss it. He is coming with such power and such glory uh, that no, it's not going to be something that anybody's going to, oh, I didn't watch the news last night. Tell me about it. Now, the Bible says in Revelation 1, 7, Behold, he is coming with clouds, and every eye will see him. Every eye will see him. This is not going to be some something secret or invisible. This is going to be something that happens with great fanfare and great power and great display of God's power and glory. And that leads us to the next point. Let's go to the next verse, verses 16 and 17. First, the believers who have died will rise from their graves. And then together with them, we who are still alive and remain on the earth will be caught up in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And then we will be with the Lord forever. This is, of course, referring to the rapture, the catching up of the church. And we see here at the coming of the Lord, the church will be caught up in the air to meet Christ as he returns. We'll join the heavenly bridal party as Christ makes his triumphant descent from heaven. And what will follow is the general resurrection, the final judgment, and the end of the world as we know it. Now, again, we can get into minutia, and I'm trying not to do it. I'm trying to stay on the big headlines of Jesus is coming again. As you all know, there's room in the body of Christ uh, for people to have various views on the details of how all this is going to happen. That's not my purpose to get into the details today. But here's what we're saying loud and clear. Christ is coming. The dead in Christ will rise. Uh, those of us who are alive on the earth, and tell me, wouldn't that be awesome? We'll be caught up in the air to meet him. And again, this being caught up is a picture of the ten virgins. You remember the ten virgins? Um, they were waiting 
for the bridegroom to come. And when the bridegroom came, what was customary is for the whole bridal party to run outside of the city as the, the folks announced, he's coming, he's coming. The bridal party would run out to be with the bridegroom and together they would come back in for the celebration. This is a picture of what's happening. When Christ raises folks from the dead at that moment, in the process of coming out of those tombs, you, you've already received your glorified body. You're going to be with the Lord. You're going to meet him in the air and then you're coming straight down to a renewed planet Earth where we're going to rule and reign with Christ forever. This is this is the catching up of the church. Um, and we will spend forever with the Lord Jesus Christ. All right? This is the rapture we're talking about. And so let's let's talk about the fruit of this doctrine just in the few minutes that we have left. And just give me about five more minutes here. What's the fruit of this doctrine? How many of you know every major doctrine of Scripture is given to us not just to fill our head with doctrinal knowledge, but to connect our head with our hearts and our feet. In other words, we said last week, our Bible should be wrapped in shoe leather because we read the word and then we act on the word. Now, I was talking with a woman this morning who had experienced the loss of her husband some 50 years plus, and she was talking about the great grace that was on her life and the joy that she felt in spite of losing her spouse, whom she loved very, very much. She said, it's just a miracle. Well, I would say two things. It's a miracle, but it's also a function of good doctrine. You know, people that don't have good doctrine, when they get into trouble, that's when things get really shaky. And a lot of people fall away when, when they run into trouble because they don't have anything to stand on that's solid. What do you stand on when, when life's storms are buffeting you? You stand on the word of God. You stand on the character of God. You stand on the promises of God. And listen, this is where you must have a relationship with God or many people get blown off the ship. Anybody know people like that? Man, something, a wave hit them and they weren't, they weren't locked on to the, to the mast there of the ship. They just got blown overboard. Why? Their roots were not deep. Here's what I'm trying to do for us this morning. Christ is coming. We ask the question, okay, so what? Not like, so what, like we don't care, but so what, like what, what does this mean? What, what is, how does this translate into practical behavior for us? Well, let me give you three things that I think are important. Let's look at verse 18. Paul says this, in light of all this happening, the word so, 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 in response to everything that I just told you, now encourage each other with these words. How many of you know it, it should encourage our hearts in the midst of trials and challenges to know that there's a second coming of Jesus that's imminent? Now, we just came from the Watchman on the Wall conference in Washington, D.C., and we heard a panel discussion talking about uh, the attack on religious liberty. And I'm not telling you all anything new, but this was new. The year 2015, of course, they don't have the data in yet for 2016, but 2015 was the biggest year for attack on Christian people that the earth has ever seen. 2015, last year, the greatest attack on Christianity that the world has ever experienced. And I'm just telling you, I think 2016 is going to break the record. Because we heard story after story of people in America that have, that have lost their jobs or been sued or whatever because this country no longer understands or appreciates religious liberty. Um, how would you like to be somebody, and we heard stories from folks overseas where you're in a, a, a Muslim country and ISIS is invading your city and you happen to be Christians and uh, they come up to you and they say, look, convert to Islam or we're going to systematically murder your children in front of your eyes. What do you do at a moment like that? 
I mean, I see parents out here, you know, how could you even conceive of what that would, would look like? Or, or they do the opposite. They go to the kids and they say, you guys convert to Christianity, or if you don't, we're kill, or, or, to Islam, or we're going to kill your parents. And you got little kids watching their parents have their heads cut off or, or being uh, crucified alive or being burned to death or drowned or all kinds of horrific things. Their throats slit. Um, I saw on Facebook a picture of a man weeping in the dust as his four children were laying in front of him with their necks slit. Uh, they, they told him, quit preaching the gospel. And if you don't stop preaching the gospel, we're going to kill your family. He said, how can I stop telling people about the good news about my Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ? He came back home. His four children had their throats slit, laying in the dirt, dead. Now, I've also heard stories where parents, uh, in, uh, when they were confronted with denying Christ and converting to Islam, where they turn to their children and they say something like this. Don't you ever turn your back on Christ. What we're going to go through right now is momentary. Momentary. They can only torture this body for so long, and then I'm dead. But here's the, here's the connecting of the dots. Christ is going to return. And this body that they are burning, torturing, whatever, abusing, will be resurrected in new glory. And I will spend forever with the Lord. And kids, listen to me. I want to spend the Lord with you. This is, this is just temporary. Forgive them, love them, let them do what they will. We, we, we commit ourselves to Jesus Christ, fully believing in the absolute certainty of his return. Can you see where theology connects with practice? If, if Paul said, if all we have is this life, we're miserable, we're hopeless. But I'm just telling you, you know, we, a couple of weeks ago when we talked about um, the edict from this administration about transgender bathrooms and so forth and so on, and I really challenged all of you out in the marketplace to stand up because you're the front, your front wave, and we assured you that we would stand with you. But listen, when I'm saying that, I'm looking out at educators, I'm looking out at principals and superintendents, I'm looking out at public school teachers, and I, I'm smart enough to connect the dots. If you stand up in this day and age and you say, wait a minute, this is crazy. This is immoral. This is perverted. Why are we doing this? You may lose your job. But let me give you some perspective. Hallelujah. That's momentary. This is not this is not the end. I'm just on a brief journey. I'm passing through. The real game is waiting for us. This is the warm up. This isn't it. This is practice. So you're saying, okay, I might be looked over at the promotion that I'm in line for. Hallelujah. I'm being real. Hallelujah. What's the difference? Perspective. Or you can say this, yeah, Lord, I played it safe. I didn't want to, uh, I didn't want to make any waves. Uh, I was thinking about my retirement. I was thinking about what else am I going to do? I mean, you know, it's just the way we think. How about we commit our lives to the Lord and we're bold and we connect the dots between what's coming. We encourage our hearts and say, you know what? Come what may, I'm going to live for Christ. You know, I just got to tell you, I was grateful to hear that after I really, I felt a little on edge a few weeks ago about the strength of my challenge because it was about as real as we could get. And I had a bunch of our teachers and administrators and principals come up and said, they're going to have to fire me before I allow that to happen in my school. Amen? That's what I'm talking about. 
in light of what we're watching our Christian uh, uh, brothers and sisters overseas go through in the face of that opposition, come on, how bad, how bad is it? Let's make sure we're standing up for truth, we're trusting God. And I just want to say this too. You should be deeply concerned that you are plugged in and a member of a great church family that as you stand will rally around you and make sure that your needs are taken care of should anything like that happen to you. Or that will show up at your workplace and say, we demand justice for this person because we are not going to put up with that. And we have, you know, 500 Living Stones folks showing up uh, at the front door of some business demanding justice. Come on, now we're talking. Now it's going to be exciting. Well, why would we do that? Because Christ is returning, because we're standing up for truth in the meantime. We're going to be holy and righteous, and we're going to promote uh, God's glory and God's presence and God's truth in the earth. That's why we're encouraging our hearts with the fact that he's coming. And listen, when he comes, you want to be found faithful. Amen? Faithful. I want to be faithful. So... There's encouragement. There's also hope. And when we talk about hope in the Bible, it's not like wishful thinking. It is absolute certainty. In fact, I, lo- I came across this great quote. Hope is biblical shorthand for unconditional certainty. Isn't that good? Biblical shorthand for unconditional certainty. In other words, we're not hoping Jesus is going to return. Jesus is absolutely going to return. I'm not hoping that someday I'm with him. I'm going to be with him. I'm not hoping I get a new body. I'm getting a glorified body. I'd say y'all are going to be jealous, but you won't be jealous because you're getting the same make and model. We're all going to look at each other and go, yeah, that's what I'm talking about. All right, it's going to be awesome. We're going to live forever with Christ. That's not, man, I hope, I hope, I hope. No, it's biblical hope. It's an absolute certainty. And I want to tell you, that's part of your inheritance. Don't leave here today. If, you, if there's any lack of certainty in your heart that what I'm preaching today, you're not so sure you're in on this deal, for crying out loud, will you get in on the deal? This is awesome. Who wants to be on the wrong side of this event? The king shows up and you're not part of his family. You're not part of his entourage. You're outside. Why would you do that? There's not like, hey, wait a minute, anybody got a spare ticket? No, there's no spare tickets. You can't sneak in the line. You can't pretend to be somebody that you're not. It's over at that point. Come on, let's make sure that we're ready. And let me end with this. The last thing that should should happen, the fruit of this doctrine, in addition to encouragement and hope in our hearts, is vigilance. The Bible says, Matthew 25, 13, and numerous other places, no one knows the day or the hour of Christ's return. Can I just encourage you? Don't fall into this end times hysteria where you're saying, oh, did you see the computer that's over in Belgium? It's the beast. You know, how many times have we heard this stuff? Or you got someone that's coming out with a book, 33 reasons why Jesus is coming in 33 days. I mean, you know, at, at 3.33 in the afternoon. Stop it! Let me just tell you in advance, it's going to be wrong! We make ourselves look like absolute idiots when we start getting into all that kind of stuff. Or you see something on Facebook, it's the latest, greatest, you know, and is this person the Antichrist? Will you please? I think the reason the Lord didn't give us days and hours is because he knows that, that we, would, we would get really goofy. You know what it means when you don't know? It means you better be vigilant. If I told you at 8 o'clock tonight, someone's going to break into your house and steal everything you have, you'd do one of two things. Either you would be way far away from your house, (laughs) 
or you would have an armed militia waiting. Now, it depends on your personality. I get it, all right? Some of you would take that, and you're like, I am out of here, and they can take whatever they want. Others of you are like, you're locked and loaded, all right? Come on. I think we have more locked and loaded. But but here's my point. If I said this, someone's going to break into your house soon. That would be a game changer because you don't know when. I'm telling you this. Jesus is coming back soon, sooner than when we first had the promise. Here's the point. Live like he's coming today or tomorrow. And guess what? You will not mess your life up living that way because vigilance means there's a real enemy after me and I'm going to make sure I stay true and faithful in pursuing God and I want to make sure I'm ready on the great day. I'm vigilant. I'm not lazy. I'm not slack. I I got my eyes open. I'm sober-minded. We'll get into that a little bit next week. Occupy until Jesus comes. Let me tell you another thing. I don't know how all this is going to pan out at the end. I don't know how much time we have. I don't know how much of the earth that the church is able to actually transform and and bring the glory of God and the kingdom of God. But I do know this. I'm going to live as if everything depended on the church and I'm going to try to occupy as much ground as I possibly can. In other words, I'm going to have a long-term perspective. You know, we just planted with the help of a lot of you, a nice big garden out in this field, an acre garden to feed people. If I thought Jesus was coming soon, why bother planting the field? I'll tell you what else we wouldn't do. We wouldn't think about starting schools. We wouldn't think about building anything long-term. We wouldn't think about training the next generation because you know we could be out of here any second. Why bother? There had people when the end-time hysteria happened before, people were taking their credit cards and running up huge bills because they thought, you know what, I don't have to pay it because Christ is going to come tomorrow. Yeah, let's be immoral and greedy before he comes and go out and buy as much stuff as we can possibly get in honor of his return. Are you nuts? That's what I'm talking about. Let's live like he's not coming for a thousand years and build and create and witness and send missionaries and preach the gospel. And then guess what? If he comes tomorrow, we're good to go. In the meantime, we're saying, Maranatha, come quickly, Lord Jesus. We're excited about your return. God, we love you, and we're looking forward to the return of our King, Jesus Christ. That's our heart. But after we say that and we worship, then you know what? We roll up our sleeves, and we get out. He died to make men holy. Let us live to make men free. Because his truth is marching on until the end of the age, and Christ will return. And that he will bring justice to the nations of the world. Hallelujah. And I just got to end with this. Give me one minute. Can I have one minute? Thank you. I was going to steal it anyway, but I was asking you because I'm trying to be compassionate. All right. Um, I believe in heaven we're going to see some of the most incredible reunions that are going to blow our minds. And, you know, the Bible says there's, there's no tears in heaven. I believe that the proper way to understand it, there's no tears of sadness. I'm going to be bawling like an idiot in heaven. I'm telling you right now, because I'm a softy. I saw a video this week of a father who was dressed up as an umpire to umpire his son's game. He came off the, he came, he was a military guy. He came off, he didn't tell his son, and he, he got permission. He's wearing the mask and all the stuff. 
and he's wiping off home plate and his son's up to bat. And he looks up and takes his mask off. And his son looks at him and buries his face in his dad's chest. And they're there at home plate hugging. And of course, everybody in the stands is watching this. And I know everybody's crying or cheering or whatever. That is just a earthly picture, a appetite wetter of what's going to happen in heaven. I don't know how long this is going to take. You know, it's like, okay, what's the next one? I mean, we're going to be emotional basket cases because you're going to be meeting people you haven't seen for years. Only there will be no sin, no hurt, no pain, no, no sickness, no disease. People that lost children. How about miscarriages? Oh, you know, miscarriages are little people. We have one more, Johnson in heaven, we're going to see. I can't wait to meet because that one's going to be the, 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 the breaker of the, we have four to four, it's a tie right now. It's going to be the tie break. <laughs> I can't wait. All the people, can you imagine that father that sat in the dirt weeping, looking at the bloody abused carcasses of his children when those children come running to hug their father? And God only knows, I don't even get my mind, God only knows the reward that is waiting for those who went through the most severe tests and passed. It's going to be awesome. We're going to be blubbering messes. The toughest one among us, I'm telling you, get the Kleenex, dude. You're going to be, we're going to see the, if the military guys coming home causes us to have this kind of response, Think about the reunions in heaven when people who, for the sake of the gospel, have lost everything are now rewarded and honored publicly for their service. (laughs) Come on, it's going to be awesome. It's better than reality TV, Jay. It's going to be sweet. (laughs) Oh, yeah, you're going to be sitting there. Snot going out. I don't know if you have snot in heaven. I don't know if that. We might have snot-free sinuses in heaven. I don't know. That might be part of our glorified bodies. I don't know, Carl. Just pray about that one. But uh, anyway, stand to your feet. Y'all have an amazing weekend of celebration. And uh, marriage class will be today. I share there's two things that are absolutely certain. The second coming of Jesus and marriage class at 4 o'clock. All right. Those are the two things that you can count on. All right. And listen, if you're here today, I know we've got guests. You've never submitted your life to Jesus. Man, I'm pleading with you. I'm urging you. Why not today? Why not invite Christ into your life today? Get ready for the biggest, biggest, biggest moment in the history of the earth, the second coming of our King. You want to be ready for that. Don't leave uh, without being ready. Father, thank you for your word and thank you for your promises and thank you for the hope, God, that these promises give us. Now, Lord, help us to connect the dots even this week. We're leaving church right now. The church is leaving the building. And God, we're going out into the world. Help us to live righteous lives and holy lives, full of wisdom, full of hearts devoted to you. And Lord, help us to love people and speak the gospel to people. And just like our dear sister Maria shared of somebody who pursued her, wouldn't let her get off the hook, loved her, took care of all of her excuses, sat with her, brought her, and then experienced the joy of watching you touch somebody like that. Lord, give us that kind of tenacity as we love people this week. 
We give you praise now, Jesus. We honor you and we say, Maranatha, come quickly, Lord Jesus. For it's in his name we pray and everybody said, amen.